Grace and peace are yours from the Son of David, Jesus Christ. Amen. The hardest time to see God is when you're in pain. Right? When life's pain-free, it is easy to see God. When you ace that test, when you get that second interview, when your surgery goes well, then it is easy to see the hand of God in your life. But when you suffer, your ability to see God is put to the test. Where's God when school is so miserable that dropping out seems better than another day? Where's God when life is so miserable that a bottle is more appealing than facing your problems? Where's God when chemo makes your hair fall out? When your father is long in dying? When you're so broke that you're scared of the future? Where is God in the middle of all that? This problem is why some people say everything happens for a reason. Did you ever hear that? At first blush, it sounds like a cop-out, a way of defending a God who doesn't seem to be doing much for you. But it's true. Everything happens for a reason. That thought is in the Bible, although the Bible expresses it way better. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Romans 8, verse 28. For those who love God, everything happens for a good reason. When you read the book of Ruth, you see that truth in action. All these things happen that seem so awful at the time, but God is in the middle of them all, working it for good. The book starts with a woman named Naomi. In Hebrew, her name means pleasant, and she has a pleasant life until famine comes. Famine so devastating that her family has to leave their home in Bethlehem and live in Moab. And in that foreign country, Naomi's husband dies. Then, a few years later, both her sons die. Naomi buries all three in foreign soil. She buries her belief in God's goodness there, too. When the famine's over and she goes back home to Bethlehem, she tells her friends, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. See, pain turned God into her enemy. After all, a good God wouldn't have let such horrible things happen to her, right? But he did. And even though she can't understand it, God is in the middle of all her pain, 
working something good. You see, while she was in Moab, before her sons died, they got married. And Naomi acquired two Moabite daughters-in-law, one of whom was named Ruth. And Ruth leaves her country and travels back to Bethlehem with Naomi to help her. Their situation is desperate. They're two poor widows. So Ruth goes out into the fields to scrounge for food. And this is when things just sort of start to happen. It just happens that Ruth is in the field of a man named Boaz. It just happens that this Boaz guy is walking by. It just happens that Boaz's servants notice Ruth and introduce them. It just happens that Boaz is a relative of Naomi who can help her and Ruth in their desperate situation. It just happens that Boaz's plan falls into place. It just happens that Boaz marries Ruth. But none of that just happens by chance. This is God's plan. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. God directed all of those events to keep his promise to work all things for the good of those who love him. He blesses Ruth and Boaz with marriage, and then he blesses them with a son. And notice again how it's described. The Lord enabled her to conceive. Because no matter how far science progresses, no matter how many fertility drugs we develop, it is God who gives the gift of children. His hand is at work behind all of this. Did you hear the rejoicing of the women of Bethlehem? Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a Redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Can't you just picture the scene? Naomi, the self-described bitter woman, holds her first grandchild. Can you see the huge smile on her face, the tears running down her cheeks as she touches those little fingers? The women of Bethlehem tell her that she doesn't need to be Mara. No more bitterness. This child is her joy. This child is God's gift. She couldn't see it during the famine. She did not understand it when her husband and her sons died. But God was in the middle of it all, working it for her good and for our good. See, the best gift is yet to come. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
Now, if you're new to the Bible, those names mean nothing to you. But if you know the rest of the story, then you can see what God is doing here. Naomi's grandson will have a grandson of his own. David, the greatest king in Israel's history. More than that, do you know what the very first verse of the New Testament says? A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jesus Christ, the son of God, is from the family of Ruth and Naomi. Jesus, our Savior from spiritual poverty and eternal death, comes from a family that suffers economic poverty and physical death. Can you see God in the middle of all this? God is not the author of evil. Sin is not his plan. Death is not his idea. But in love, God promises that pain is not pointless. He does something incredible in the middle of all of Ruth and Naomi's heartache. A son born in Bethlehem that leads to another son born in Bethlehem a thousand years later. Turns out, God had quite the plan for their pain. Do you believe that he has one for yours? Do you believe that God is in the middle working it all for your good? You do. Right? I mean, you wouldn't be sitting here on a Saturday night if you didn't, right? And why is that? Why is it that even in the midst of this painful mess we call a life, we still believe that God is love? Well, maybe it's because God lets good things happen to bad people. Think about it like this. Whenever tragedy strikes and the good things in life grow dim, our gut reaction is to pray, God, why would you let something like this happen to a good guy like me? But that's the thing. I am not a good guy. Who can honestly claim to be good in God's sight? Who of us is not a worrying, lusting, lying, doubting, proud, petty, self-centered person? Who doesn't forget to praise God when life is good? Who doesn't complain to God when life isn't? Who isn't incredibly self-entitled, believing that God owes us, owes us healthy bodies, healthy babies, good lives, good friends, good jobs? But because of sin, we are not good people. Because of sin, we don't deserve the good things that we already have. Because of sin, we deserve tragedy. Tragedy. 
And yet Jesus Christ, the descendant of Ruth, came to do good things for us anyway. Jesus chose to enter our world of pain when he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus chose to go through the pain of rejection, holding out his hands all day long through a world that didn't want him. Jesus chose to suffer on a cross, stretching out those hands for six hours for a world that didn't recognize him. All so that bad people can be declared good in God's sight. And Jesus chose to rise from the dead three days later with the scars still on his hands. Proof that he is a God who has plans for pain. Whenever pain makes you doubt God's goodness, look at the cross. If God were not good, he would not have given his only son for you. If God were not love, he would not have suffered such bad things for such bad people. And if that was his plan for you when you were his enemy, well, of course he has a plan for you now that you're his child. You never have to doubt if God loves you. The cross proves it. So, what good will our good God work in your life? What's his plan for your pain? I don't know the specifics. No one does. God has not revealed them in the Bible. But I do know that God is good. And I do know that he works all things for your good because that is his promise and faith takes God at his word. And your faith is not blind. History proves that God always keeps his promises. And that's what Epiphany is all about. Promises made in Christ and promises kept in Christ. That's what the book of Ruth is all about. It is the amazing account of how God works all things for good, including a famine, three deaths, and desperate destitution. And all of this, all of it, is kind of sort of like baking a cake. Right? Just think about how disgusting individual cake ingredients are all by themselves. There's flour, which tastes disgusting. There's raw eggs, which taste even more disgusting. And there's baking cocoa, which is like one of the most bitter substances in your kitchen. Bitter. That's how Naomi described her life when she looked at all of the events individually. But God was looking at how all those events would work together for good. And just like individually bitter cake ingredients work together to make a delicious tasting cake, 
so also individually bitter events in Naomi's life worked together for her good and for our eternal good, for God keeping his greatest promise, his promise to send the Savior. At Epiphany, God reveals his glory, and it is his son on a cross planted in the middle of our pain. Amen.